If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. We're going to be jumping all over the place, uh, and by all over the place, I mean all over the place in the Bible. And uh, so I want you to turn to Psalm 51. I'm going to have us uh, going between a couple of different books, and uh, I'll just wait for you guys to finish talking. You like how I'm dadding you like that on Father's Day, just like that? There we go, <laughs> Psalm 51. We're, we're, we'll camp out there in another couple of passages. Um, we're in week, uh, I don't know what week we're in, we're week three in our series. And this is where our series is coming from. It's coming from Galatians 5, um, just to give you a little bit of a backdrop on, wh- on what these nine fruits of the Spirit are. I'm going to read it. It's, uh, it's a book written by Paul. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The first week I had those memorized, I lost it at this point. But this is what Paul goes on to say. He says, against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what we're doing is we're going after these particular fruits of the Spirit which if you have your bulletin there, right on the inside, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's a visible outworking of the invisible inworking of God's Spirit in us. And so what we're doing is we are just concentrating on these nine visible outworkings. There's actually probably more than this, but these are the ones that Paul nails down for us in the book of Galatians. And so today we're gonna be talking about joy. And what I wanna do, what I hope to do, is I want to face this mystery of joy. That's the fruit we're going to be talking about today, man. I just want to face the mystery of joy head on, and we're going to be talking about peace next week. I would say, in my opinion, not, you know, uh, not inspired scripture here, but in my opinion, it would seem to be that joy and peace, I think, are the two hardest fruits for us to really understand and grasp, right? So if if we get into like, you know, patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, there's something almost definable about that where you can go, no, I know how to do those. I do those rather imperfectly, but there's something about that where intrinsically, I sort of know how to practice those and live those out. But then when we get into some of the fruits like joy and we get into some of the fruits like peace, it's almost like this inner disposition of the heart. And so when I look at you and I say, hey, just have some peace, You know, like you guys are like, I don't know how to lock into that. I don't even know how to live that out. In fact, I'm not even sure I know how to define what joy and peace is. Um, If you were to ask me, Ronnie, some of you guys would say that. So for the next two weeks, we're gonna hopefully help bring some understanding and some clarity to what the Bible has to say about what the heck joy and peace uh, actually is. So, man, every spring... Uh, when I wake up in the morning, there is literally, I, I, I sit in this little, little chair in the, the, one of the corners of my house, and I have some quiet time, I have some time of prayer, and there's literally just this choir of singing, chirping, and like, just like, like partying birds, you know, just like outside of, of my, uh, outside of my house there, and they just go nuts, and, the, and it's, just, it's like nonstop, all the, the chirping and the birding, or whatever we even and, and call it, you know, and so what's, what's amazing about that, what struck me about that, especially this morning, is that regardless of the kind of night I've had, right, if I've had one of those nights like you guys have, where man, there is just no sleep, I woke up at 3 a.m., couldn't get back to sleep, went to the bathroom three times, too far, um, I don't know. You know, if it was one of those kind of nights, right? Um, it, it, just, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of day I've had. It doesn't matter what kind of day lays before me. Like, these birds don't shut off. 
right? They just keep going. They're not influenced by my mood. They're, they're not influenced by my circumstance. You know, you don't got like the chief Robin going, hey, it's looking like Big R's having a rough day as I'm, as I'm viewing him through the window. Let's put a, you know, let's keep it on the DL with the chirping. Like that doesn't happen, right? They just continue to do what they do. Their volume up, right? The whole time. The singing never stops. And in some ways, um, what I like about that is that it represents the, this inner reality for us as Christians, right? Man, there is a song that has been planted in your heart by the Holy Spirit because of the person and work of Jesus Christ that never stops singing, right? It's something that's not based on your circumstances, even though you might be in a valley, you might be going through something that is just absolutely unimaginable uh, to you and for you, um, what's happening in your heart is that, man, there is a particular kind of hope that you can abound in, right? And that is how, in some ways, we would describe the joy of the Lord. Here's how John MacArthur would define uh, joy. This is what he says about it. He says, it's a happiness based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities, he says, joy is not the result of favorable circumstances and even occurs, he says, when those circumstances are the most painful and severe. That's what John MacArthur says. Jerry Bridges, this is how he defines it. I'm gonna give you a few definitions here. He says, Christian joy is essentially the enjoyment of God. It's the fruit of communion with him. And then Tim Keller tells us, he says, joy is this. He says, it's delighting in God for, for who he is. So this gives us a, a little like sort of broad overview of how we might start just thinking about what joy is, a happiness based on unchanging divine promises, the enjoyment of God, a delight in God for God, for who God is, not for all the stuff he's given you, not for all the ways he's blessing you, not withholding it when things aren't as peachy as we wish they were. So what I want to ask you and what, what I want to delve into as we dive into this is what goes through your mind when you think of joy. Like if we were to sit down and do a one-on-one, -on -one, what, what would come to your mind if I said, well, hey, tell me about joy. Well, how do you define joy? What is joy in your life? I mean, for some of us, we just, man, we think of it very thinly. We haven't really processed it. For some of us, it's like, man, is it just this happy, clappy thing? Is it just this, this SpongeBob SquarePants sort of like I'm just on all the time, right? Is it how we think of just insincere, dishonest people who lack, you know, a sense of authenticity and genuineness? I mean, is joy really just how we define annoying people? Is that it for us? Or, or is, it just, is it just how some people are wired, right? Is joy something you, you, you really want is it something that you know you're supposed to have as a Christian because that's just been hammered at you for years and years and you kind of are racked with guilt over it because you just don't feel like you, you have it and you don't really know what it is and you don't know how to get it? What do you wish that you knew about joy as we're diving into this this morning? Do you wish you knew what joy actually looks like? Do you, do you wish you knew how to get it? Also on the flip, is it ever appropriate not to be joyful? I mean, is joy simply a state of mind? Is joy something we can even manufacture? Is it something that can be taken away? Is joy actually there when I don't feel it? I will not be able to answer those 509 questions. 
just letting you know. But those are some of the things that I think, just whether we realize it or not, consciously or subconsciously, kind of, kind of surfaces, right? If we even gave it a few minutes to even process what the heck joy is. Now, here is the problem as we dive into this, as we get into scripture about the subject matter of joy, if we can just call it subject matter, right? The problem is that scripture says rejoice. And it not only says rejoice, it says, oh, by the way, rejoice always. It just, it just tacks on that always at the end of it. Philippians 4.4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, and Paul's saying again, just in case you just didn't hear me that first time, I will say rejoice. So Paul is saying, man, there is something intrinsic to the nature of a Christian that joy needs to be something that is practiced out of an obedience, right? So kind of what we started with, what do we, what do we sing at the top of the, uh, of the worship of the liturgy, man? We sang a song called Rejoice, right? And like at no point did Scott say, so um, I want all of you guys that would like to sing the song, stand up, sing with me, that would be helpful, you know, that if you guys could all join in and we could sing as a congregation, the rest of you just sit down, relax, don't say a word. I mean, if you would have said that, that would have been like 91% of you for sure, right? But he didn't say that because again, it's not optional for us. The Bible never presents rejoicing in the Lord as optional. Paul doesn't give it to us as an option. He simply says, rejoice in the Lord, always rejoice. Then in John chapter 17, 13, Jesus says, but now I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So what Jesus is saying here is that he has a mission and his mission was to accomplish something so that joy would be fulfilled in you. His mission was to accomplish a work so that joy would come flowing out of you. It would be established in you. It would become flowing out of you. That was essentially the mission of Jesus was to establish a fulfilled joy in you. So a joyless Christian, a Christian that doesn't practice joy by rejoicing, and a Christian that is intrinsically joyless is kind of an oxymoron from what we get from Scripture. A joyless Christian, in a lot of ways, how I like to think of it, maybe, you, maybe you'll feel some alignment with this, it's kind of like a sugar-free dessert. <laughs> right? I mean, am I lying about that? Some of you guys are like, Ronnie, I only eat sugar-free desserts, and we're going to pray for you and help you through that. That's how we walk alongside of you here at the church. Um, but it's, but it's kind of like that, right? It's like, it's, it's something, it looks like something. It looks like cheesecake. But, but when, I, when I sink my teeth into that, it feels like a saltine cracker more like instead, right? It lacks something that when I look at it, feels like should be representative of it, right? And so scripture says rejoice always. And if scripture says rejoice always, which I just proved to you that it did, this actually trips up our definitions then. Maybe our default definitions that we don't even realize we have of what joy actually is, right? And especially for those of us who think of it as just this, this smiley face emoji, cheerfully enthusiastic about everything kind of way of being, right? Somebody who just ignores everything negative or painful and just sort of skips and hops through life. Like it's just Mary Poppins and you're Dick Van Dyke and we're having a great time and we're gonna roll through life that way, right? I couldn't remember the people that played in the new one that came out last December. I went old school with that one, right? But what we see more truthfully about how we would define joy is by going back to the character of Jesus. Jesus, the most joy-filled person 
ever to walk the face of the earth. And yet we don't see any evidence that he was anything like what I just described, right? So it must be when we think about joy, when we just start to tap into what it is, what it means for us, how it's supposed to work itself out of us, our thinking must be a little off in our definition of it. So if the spirit of Christ, follow me here, if the spirit of Christ is in us and joy is one of the fruits of that, if joy is one of the byproducts of that, then to walk with a profound or perpetual lack of joy means we need God to recover something in us that's either been lost or undiscovered altogether, right? And that's what we wanna look into. Some of us need to discover joy. Some of you don't have the spirit of God living inside of you because you've not had that kind of relationship with the creator of the universe established in your heart. So joy is just this very elusive thing in your life. For some of you that do know Christ, man, you've repented of your sins. You've been saved by the good news of the gospel. Man, there is a joy that exists inside you, but it might need to be recovered because there are so many things in your life that are pulling at it, that are stripping at it, that are trying to tear it from the fabric of who you are now in Christ. So we wanna talk about discovery and recovery. So here's my first point um, in terms of recovering and discovering that gospel joy, that true joy. The first one is this, we wanna begin by confessing our need for joyful restoration. So you wanna begin in your rediscovery, your recovering of joy by confessing your need for joyful restoration. I had you turn to Psalm 51, verse 10 says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This is a Psalm of David. And so sometimes when we're wondering what joy is, wondering what's preventing it from overflowing in our lives, we need to recognize like David that there might be some sin in our life that is creating a particular barrier of which that joy is not able to break through. So from the very beginning, when we start even processing this and we start thinking of, man, where is this joy that the Bible speaks of? We need to acknowledge that there might be sin in our life like David acknowledged. We need to confess that sin because there might be something that is literally stealing your joy. It's stripping it away. It's causing it to not break through all the fibers of your being. For David, it was just unconfessed sin. I mean, David had really gotten into it, right? I mean, he had really, really gotten into some deep and serious sins that he needed to go before the Lord and confess in order to have that joy that he knew and he understood renewed in his life. So we need to confess our need for joyful restoration by confessing our sin that may be preventing it. Psalm chapter four, six through seven says this, there are many who say, the psalmist writes, who will show us some good? And then he says this, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, because you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So man, it's not like we're not living in a world that is not seeking after the very thing that all of us are so intrinsically drawn to. I mean, the very deepest desire of your life is that you would have this 
particular brand of joy that doesn't come to an end so quickly, that's not so thin, that doesn't sealing out so that you actually fall to the ground and start grasping for other things that are gonna just climb you up that ladder so far before you're gonna fall back down, right? So what we wanna do then by confessing our need for joyful restoration is acknowledge the places that we go shopping for joy. Where do you go shopping for joy, right? And, and I mean that literally, right? We can, we can do that literally. Like we can Amazon, you know, our, our extension of joy is, is always going to Amazon Prime, right? To get just that little touch of joy back into our lives. Just grab a hold of something that we think is gonna bring us what we're missing, right? For some of us, it's ESPN2, right? For some of us, it's a little Buffalo Trace. For some of us, we go to our friends. We go shopping for joy in our friends or in a spouse or in a child, that's where I get my joy, right? For some of us, it's in our garage. It's our toys. It's the things we accumulate. Man, I go there to find what's lacking in my life. For some of us, man, we're just, we pull back. We go to a quiet place. Man, if I can just, just escape the noise, if I can escape the people, that's where I find my joy. And yet the psalmist says here that there's only one place that we find good. And it's a good that exists even beyond the blessings that God might give us that were never meant to replace the source of our joy. So we confess our need for joyful restoration by confessing our sin, by acknowledging the places that we go shopping for joy. Hebrews 12, six through 11 says this, for the Lord disciplines, listen, the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. That's all of us. For the moment, all discipline, he says, seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here's what we need to know about coming before the Lord, confessing our need for joyful restoration, is that God is so committed to your joy that he might be testing you right now. And he might be testing you in order to restore a righteousness back in you that will unlock and unleash a joy that accompanies it. Does that make sense? So for some of you, you're in a particular place in your life where you're just, man, you're feeling like, man, I don't know what God's doing, but these things are happening in my life and I feel like I'm in a valley or I feel like there's trials and I feel like there's testings going on. Why are you doing that, God? Well, because he wants to restore the joy of his salvation in you. He's trying to create a righteousness in you by smoothing those rough edges of sin that still exists in your life. So how do we discover, how do we recover joy? We do it by confessing our need for joyful restoration. Secondly, we do it by practicing a resistance to joylessness. We do it by a continued practice of a resistance to joylessness. Let's pick back up in Psalm 51, the end of verse 12. I'll read all of 12. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And what does it say? It says, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So how do we practice a resistance to joylessness? Well, we live in a prayerful awareness of it. We live in a prayerful awareness that, man, God has given us this joy. It is one of the fruits that he's given us based on not anything we've done or not anything that we can manufacture, but something that has been given to us, poured into us by the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So we need to live in a prayerful awareness that God is 
willingly upholding us in our pursuit and practice of joy. Does that make sense? Because, man, we have to resist the joylessness that surrounds us, that's trying to suck it out of us all the time. So we begin by confessing our need for joy, for the restoration of joy, and then we continue by practicing a resistance to joylessness. Part of that is realizing and becoming more aware and more thankful and more prayerful about the fact that God is upholding us in this pursuit and practice of resistance to joylessness. He's upholding you in that. And as you resist that joylessness, as you resist those temptations that are scraping away at you to suck your joy out, you know what he does? God builds a resilience in you. And guess what that resilience is? The resilience is him. God builds a resilience in you. And again, the resilience is a deeper love and affection and awareness of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to us? So we continue by practicing a resistance to joylessness by living in a prayerful awareness and that God is upholding us. Do you guys understand that? Do you feel fragile and weak on Father's Day? And I don't have a lot of resistance to joylessness. The joylessness is it's hanging over me. It's a fog. Ronnie, I'm in the fog of joylessness right now. Well, we need to go to Psalm 51. We need to remember the fog of joylessness that was covering David over some of the sins that he was confessing. And when you remember the place that David came to, which was God uphold me because I don't really have the strength within me to manufacture what is in me, but needs to be recovered. So David goes after God in prayer saying, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So we resist joylessness. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord, you guys have heard this, it's famous, is your strength. We wanna be on constant guard against manufactured strength. David knew he didn't have anything in the tank. David was coming before the Lord because all of his resources had been dried up. They'd been stripped. And so Nehemiah reminds us that it's the joy of the Lord. It's this particular groundedness of abounding hope in us that is our strength. So we need to be on constant guard against manufactured strength. We need to be on guard against trying to conjure up our own joy, right? By looking inside, right? to experience the fruit of it, by looking outside of us, by looking to friends, by looking to things, by looking to hobbies, by looking to giftings in ourselves to sort of manufacture and conjure up and surface that, that joy that we're so seeking after, but we're gonna find we can't attain to. Let's turn to Hebrews 12, chapter one. You're gonna wanna make a hard right. Go all the way back into the New Testament, book of Hebrews. after the book of Philemon, that probably doesn't help you. <laughs> Hebrews 12. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded, the writer of Hebrews tells us, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. How do we practice resistance to joylessness? Well, the writer of Hebrews says, Hey, remember who you're surrounded by. You're surrounded by all these saints throughout the years in the Bible 
that have gone through exactly what you've gone through, that have experienced exactly what you have experienced. Any of these emotions, any of these feelings, any of these struggles, these testings and these trials that you, Ray, are experiencing today, that you, Melissa, are experiencing today, guess what? They've been experienced, right? We're we're not reading a word that comes from a bunch of people that have no idea what we are facing. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us lay aside every weight. That's that resistance to joylessness. He says that weight and that sin which clings so closely. So it's not something that's just out there that, you know, man, when I get around to this, yeah, I know I got some stuff, Ronnie. I know there's some things in my life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, no, these are things that are sticking to you. You gotta gotta like Velcro those things off of you. They're there. Right? It's like the clothes, it's like my too tight jeans right now. They're sticking to me, right? I know, that was bad. I'm gonna, get, get, I'm gonna hear about that one. But that's what he's talking about. It's not something far away. So when you think of those weights, when you think of those sins and those things that we've already talked about and there's kinda, they're, they're sort of surfacing up in your heart and you're keeping them right there, you know what the writer of Hebrews says? He says, no, 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 they're right here. They're right there. They're sticking to you. Lay them aside because they're sin and they're clinging and they're close. So there is an intentionality and there is a practice for us as God's people who, are stri- who want joy, who are striving after joy. And so we need to be very intentional and actually pretty brutal about the way that we react and the way that we handle these weights and these sins. So... Man, we want to confess our need for joyful restoration. We want to practice resistance to joylessness. And then finally, we want to do this while looking to Jesus. Let's go back down to Hebrews chapter 12. It said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he gives us this encouragement. He said, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we look to Jesus as we confess our need for joyful restoration, as we practice resistance against joylessness. How do we do that? Do we just manufacture that? Is there something in you that can just take care of that apart from God's word, apart from closeness to Jesus, apart from looking to Jesus, apart from desperately getting on your knees and saying, Jesus, I want this joy. I need this joy. I realize this has to be one of the characteristics of my life, not so that I just merely look joyful to the world around me, although that's important, but so that I experience the kind of life-giving character that was so representative of Jesus that I now have living inside me. So we look to Jesus. We don't manufacture. We look to him, understanding that he's the one that founded our faith. He's the one that perfects our faith. He's the one that understood joy as being something that he would endure because of what lied ahead. It wasn't based so much on light and momentary things. So our vision and our definition of joy, it just widens and it just expands. 
and we see that everything that God is doing in us is working this expansion in our heart so that we look more closely and more affectionately and more desperately to Jesus, trusting that he has it. Do you know that Jesus has your life? Do you know that he has you in his grip? Do you know that like he, 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 you're not slippery in his hands? That he has you. And so when you look to Jesus, you're not looking so far into the distance. You're not looking up at the sky and saying, I can barely trace just, you know, sort of the, the, the faintest like, you know, tracing of him. You're literally like looking up and seeing his eyes right here. He's right there. Romans 15, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Because Jesus is so close and we look to him because he founded our faith, because he perfects our faith, it's how we are able to abound in hope. Man, when our expression of joy, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute, when our expression of joy doesn't look so uh, full and it doesn't look so jumpy and it doesn't look so happy, right? Luke 10, this was when Jesus had sent out his 72 disciples to go work some miracles and to preach the gospel and they returned. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And this is what Jesus said, so interesting. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. So keep doing the work, I'm protecting you, I'm your fortress. But then he says this, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So while we look to Jesus, we're constantly brought back to what's important in terms of what is supposed to be providing us with our joy, see? It's not just some limited experiential thing that all of us are gonna tap out of so quickly but it's something that goes into the depths and to the longevity and the eternality of heaven. That's what it's doing for us. Looking to Jesus is grounding your joy. It's grounding my joy in the one who has secured it for eternity. And you know what this does for us? You know what this does for us as we're confessing our need for joyful restoration, as we're practicing resistance to joylessness? You know what this does for us, man? It helps us and it guards us from looking to others and comparing ourselves with how we're doing. How am I doing in my joy? That person seems so joyful. That person never shuts up about joy. And I just feel like, man, I, I don't know what to do with that. I'm wired a little bit different. My expression in this particular time of my life is going to look different. And guess what it is? It is going to look different. But understanding that your rejoicing needs to come from the hope and the truth that your name is written in heaven helps ground you in what actually joy is defined to us as in the Bible. What did we sing a minute ago? We sang, our hope is built on nothing less, right? Didn't say our hope is built on Jesus' blood, righteousness, and you know some of those blessings he's gonna give you over the next decade. Nothing less 
than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean. The sweetest frame. I don't trust in even those things that look so good, that are so tempting for me, that do give me a measure of comfort. I dare not trust those things, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Right? So there you are. Standing with those clouds of witnesses, right? There you are, standing with Sarah and Esther and Eve and Ruth, shoulder to shoulder with Paul the Apostle, with John Calvin, with Charles Spurgeon, with Billy Graham, your name written in the book of life, chosen by God, purchased by Jesus, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There you are, like them, looking to Jesus, enduring the testing and the trials for the perfecting of your faith and the joy that is set before you the way it was set before Jesus. There you are, Substance Church. There you are, right there. There you are. So here's how I want to close. I want to close with a little self-examination process so we can get down into the, the dirt a little bit. What is sucking all of the joy out of you today? What are some of those joy killers as you start thinking about joy? As hopefully right now the Holy Spirit is doing some necessary work in your heart like he's doing it in mine. How, how do we think through some of those joy killers? For some of us, a joy killer is duty. Man, we're duty bound, right? We're like those people that love rules. We love keeping rules. And what you realize is that keeping all those rules, doing everything by the book, man, it's running you dry, right? It's like being on a treadmill that never ends. And it just keeps speeding up and speeding up. And again, what we would say is the answer to that is gospel joy. It's remembering that God kept what you can't keep. God ran because you can't really run. God kept rules that you really aren't keeping. And in that, we know that he keeps you. And so for you who are duty bound, that you need to keep the rules and you realize, man, I'm just, I'm mildly unhappy all the time because I feel like I'm not keeping up and everything in me is telling me I need to. Let the gospel remind you that you are kept because you could never keep up. Jesus had to do that work for you. For some of you, it's guilt Man, you feel like you're always catching up to God. You feel like you are never pleasing God. You feel like you are never adding up to everything that God has for you. Well, guess what? You're, you can't. You never were. If you could add up to anything that God had for you apart from God, there was no reason for the cross. That's why we preach the cross. That way, that's why Paul preached the cross. You need to stop trying so hard to add up. You need to receive this gospel joy that every day is being spoken over you that says, there is therefore now what? Let's say it, no condemnation. There it is, man. That's it right there. That guilt you feel is misplaced. It's misplaced. Some of you, it's anxiety, fear. Man, it just has a stranglehold on you. And when you think about the future and all your plans for the future, all the plans that are unfolding just the way that you want them for the future, all the unknowns about the future that just drive you up the wall, 
Man, you're drowning in that. And it's a joy killer for you. But gospel joy tells you and it reminds you that your future is not unknown by God. That your actual hope, the hope that doesn't disappoint, is grounded in the cross. And whatever happens to you, even based on your dumb mistakes, how about that? Even when you make lame choices and bad mistakes, guess what? God has it. He's not surprised by it. You're not tripping him up in it. And because of that, you can have joy. Some of you guys have foolishness. You live foolish lives. You lack wisdom. You lack discernment. You live in a haze of just obliviousness and confusion. You know what? God can work in your life. He can draw you back into godly wisdom and discernment. Most of the time, he's gonna do that by having people around you that are older and wiser and more discerning walk with you. And you can humble yourself as you walk with them and take their wisdom and use it as a way to live out the gospel. But some of you guys are just foolish and you need to be told that. You need to be told that part of the reason why joy is absent in your life is because you make decisions based on a lack of wisdom and a lack of discernment. Gospel joy says you can trust that God is not absent in your life. Because when we make foolish and unwise decisions, it's because we really don't want to consult the one who can give us that wisdom and discernment. We want, to run, we want to run off of our own power. We want to run off of our own mindedness. But gospel joy says you can trust that God is there. He's not absent. And you can believe his promises in your life. And then finally, suffering. And there's many more than this. I just came up with five. Suffering, some of you guys are suffering through physical, emotional, and spiritual anguish of some sort. And some of you would look at me and say, Ronnie, I get this, but this is so hard. Like, it's just a moment in my life where I just feel like I'm just under a black cloud. I'm hurting in all of these different ways. And what we understand by what we read in Hebrews about what Jesus suffered, what he endured with this particular joy is that in this, the Bible tells us that somehow we're brought closer to the cross in our suffering. We're brought closer to Jesus in our suffering. We're reminded of future hope. We're reminded of future glory that God is drawing us closer to and giving us a deeper understanding of in those times we are facing trials and testings and sufferings. Somehow God is using it very specifically in our lives for our good to draw us nearer and dearer to the one who suffered for us. It doesn't mean it's not hard, right? It doesn't mean that your joy won't have different expressions at different times. It doesn't mean that sometimes joy is going to be so visible in your life that it just, it, it, it shines on your face. It changes your countenance, right? It also means that that joy can be just as real in your life as you're going through suffering, but man, it's not going to come out that way. So that, again, this is not something that we're trying to say, let's act this way. Let's manufacture this. We're saying this is something that exists inside of our hearts that God at different times in our life will allow it to be expressed in very unique ways that guess what? Will help others in their joy, with their lack of joy, with their discovery of joy, with their recovery of joy. Does that make sense? 
So joy has different expressions at different times. So whether you need to discover it, whether you need to recover it, pursue Jesus ruthlessly to sustain it when there is a profound absence of it. And if that's where you find yourself today, don't leave joy as just a pet project, as another sermon that you hear preached. Hold on to the promise of it like a dying man in a desert who has found and needs to find an oasis. Let it be that for you as we scatter today, as you reflect on this, right? As you look at those areas that you need to confess so that you can have it restored. As you look at those joyless places that you need to resist by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you do it all by looking to Jesus who is perfecting you, who founded your faith, and who's going to bring a deeper experience of joy into it. Because here's what a joyful life looks like in 1 Thessalonians. Paul tells us this. Rejoice always, he said it again, rather annoyingly. He says, rejoice always. But then he says this. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there's nobody sitting here today of which joy isn't the expressed purpose and will of God for your life. Now, what you don't want to do is walk away feeling condemned and overburdened because everything I'm describing would be the furthest thing that would characterize your life. If, you're, if you heard me say that, I need to re-preach this message and ain't none of y'all want that to happen. All right? Go back to what we talked about. Look at the sin that might be clinging closely. Look at some of the practices in your life that you can accomplish to resist joylessness. Do all of that as you are looking to Jesus for strength, abounding in hope, knowing that he has a future already planned, already worked out for you that is not absent of trials, but has joy in the midst of all things because he is our joy. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are joy. You are our joy. Lord, and that when we strip away all of these things, all these commodities, Lord, that we just go to over and over again to give us that sense of enjoyment, that sense of communion with you, that inner, that just that, that inner sense of gratification, Lord, that we can only get through you, Lord. Would you just remind us of those things? Would you remind us of Jesus once again? Would you give us eyes to look to Jesus that we might abound in hope, that we might pursue him as our pathway to joy? God, work that in our lives as a church. We want to be the most joyful church. And so God, we pray that you would continue to work this joy out in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit who loves us, who cares for us, and will not allow us um, to continue down roads that are stripping us of these fruits that you died to provide for us. We thank you for the joy of that, the acknowledgement of that, the reality of that in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.